we want to thank you for being here this morning. And uh, about uh, three weeks ago, we started a series uh, that talked about uh, the glory of Easter. Uh, and, and we begin to look at how that if it were not for the Garden of Gethsemane, that there would not be a Resurrection Sunday. If on that uh, moment in the garden, if Jesus would not have prayed, not thy will, not my will, but thy will be done, uh, we wouldn't have ever gotten to this point. And so many times we, in our life, God just wants us to say, God, I don't like the situation I'm in, but I'm willing to surrender to your will. And, and many times, if we will do that in our life, we will get to our resurrection that he has promised us. Last week, we looked at the glory of salvation. And we discussed how that many times that if we're walking with Christ, it's easy to forget what a glorious salvation that Christ has given us. All that he gave us when he gave his only son to die on the cross. And how that, that he wants us to experience that salvation every day of our lives. Uh, this week, we want to close our series uh, on, on this Resurrection Sunday to talk about how that Jesus died for our sin. And how that in Scripture, that the Apostle Paul had a name for Jesus. Now, there were many names for Jesus throughout the Bible. Uh, Master, teacher, Lord, Savior, they just, the list goes on and on and on of all the different names that Jesus was given. But there's one name that sometimes that is sort of hidden away in Scripture that Paul gave Jesus. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And it says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here Paul gave Jesus the title, the last Adam, or the second Adam. You see, Adam and Jesus were both made similar. God took dirt from the earth and formed man out of the dust. He said that he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and Adam was created. Man became a living soul. Thousands of years later, the angel told Mary, God needs to send his son through your womb. And she didn't understand how this could happen. She said, I, I don't have relations with a man. And the angel said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, the word for spirit there is pneuma. Pneuma means breath. So just as Adam was formed out of the breath of God, so was Jesus. God's breath created him. The same breath that created Adam. When Adam was created, he said, let's make man in our own image. Jesus was made in God's own image. We looked at last week how Hebrews chapter 1 says that he was the full expression of God. He was a carbon copy. Both Adam and Jesus were created sinless. But here's where they went their separate ways. The first Adam was tested in the garden and he failed. The second Adam was tested and he succeeded. What Adam couldn't do, Jesus did. 
He came to to be a life-giving spirit. He came so that we could live and that we could have a second chance. And we're going to talk about the glory of a second chance. How many people like it when you get second chances? Romans chapter 5 verse 19 says this, For as by one man's, which is Adam's, disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's, being Jesus, obedience, many will be made righteous. Adam gave in to temptation. Adam fell. But sin entered this world because of that. Because of that sin, death entered into this world. You see, God's plan for us was never death. That wasn't his plan for us. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, everybody knows the, the shortest verse in the Bible. When you were in, uh, growing up in Sunday school and you got points for quoting scripture, it's, it was your go-to. Jesus wept. But when Jesus came to the tomb, why did he weep? It, it really makes no sense because he knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was getting ready to speak and that Lazarus was going to come out of the grave. So why did he weep? Could it be that when he got there, he realized this was never my father's plan for life? You see, many times we just accept death as it was part of life. Death is not part of life. Death is part of sin. It is because sin entered into the world that death was created. God is a God that gives us second chances despite ourselves. But we have to remember that our second chance is through Christ, not ourselves. Our second chance is through Christ, not ourselves. How many, how many people play golf? Any golfers in the house? What an irritating game. When I accepted the call to, to begin to preach, it was just drilled into me. If you're a preacher, you have to play golf. You just have to. And I started playing golf, and I very quickly realized that it was hard for me to even stay saved. You know, I was raised that you could just backslide for, for taking a wrong step. And, and so it, I realized it was hard for me to stay saved and, and play golf. But one day I was out playing with another preacher. And this preacher taught me a few tricks. One of them was the foot wedge. Anybody know what that is? That's if, if you hit it in the, in the woods and when nobody's looking, you just take it and kick it like that. Come on, you, you golfers, you've done it. The second thing that, that he taught me was, was a beautiful thing that what they call a mulligan. Now, you go to golf tournaments, you can actually buy these things. They use them as fundraisers. But when we were playing, it was just, oh, take a mulligan. And what that is, how many people know what a mulligan is? All right, I'm, this is going to be uh, the first thing many of you learned today. A mulligan is in golf when you hit a bad shot and you drop another ball and say, I'm going to take a mulligan. And you hit it again. And this, this preacher taught me that. And I was like, that is awesome. The problem was, 
My second shot was worse than my first shot. Take another one. My third shot, by the time we got to the third hole, I was having to borrow balls from him. I was out. But I began to realize just because I got a second chance, it didn't mean that I was going to get it right. And I could keep trying and trying, but I still didn't get it right. And I realized that even though I had a chance to do it over again, in myself, I still didn't get it right. And in our Christian walk, we have to understand that we are not meant to do it right by ourselves. We are meant to do it through Christ. It doesn't matter how many second chances we get, we're not going to get it right. God designed us for us to do it through Him. Now, let me tell you when the game of golf became enjoyable to me. It was when I discovered this little game called best ball. Anybody know what best ball is? That means that you have at least one partner, and you both hit a shot, and whoever's shot is better, you go to that place, and you both hit again. So I would find the best player I could find. You're going to be on my team. I would take Pastor Rick, and I'd say, you're on my team. And he would hit it right down the middle. I would hit it over in the woods, but I would walk and drive up. I didn't walk. We didn't walk. Never walk. Golf is not for walking. I tried it one time, and I was too tired by the time I got to the ball, but at least then I had an excuse. But I was able to, to go to his ball, and I was able to, to record my score, not in myself, but through him. Through that person that was so much better than I was. And so now if somebody says, you want to play golf? I'll say only if we're playing best ball. Only if I can find somebody that I can enjoy playing the game because of. I tell you that that's the way it is with our Christian walk. We are made to live our lives through Jesus, not through ourselves. And what a joy it becomes to live life through Him and not apart from Him. If we could learn to realize that if we would just choose to live our life through Christ, that life will become enjoyable. If life has gotten you down, if every morning is a struggle for you to get up, I have a great suspicion that you're trying to live life through yourself. And no matter how many times you think that you will get it right, no matter how many second chances you are given, it's not going to work. God designed us to live through Him. I describe through as a, as a way of an opening. You see, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. And he has invited us to live our life through him. So many people try to do it apart from him. But John chapter 14, verse 5 and 6 says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
He said the only way to live this life, the way that you're designed to live it, is to live it through Him. You can't do it on your own. And many of us spend our religious life trying to attain something that we cannot obtain. But Christ said, if you will follow me, I will lead you to a truth that will bring you life. That is the message of the gospel. And so this morning, for just a few minutes, I want to look at the way that we should live. The first thing is that we should live by grace and not guilt. Live by grace and not guilt. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. At that moment, he was making a a, a way that we could live by grace. We could go to him. We didn't have to live with guilt. Romans chapter 5 verse 21 says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. How does it come? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Many of us live our life in guilt. Many of us are trying to do something that we cannot do. You're trying to be good. You go to bed at night thinking about all the things that, that you did wrong that day. And you're so, you feel so guilty. And that the pressure of life just has you so stressed out because of the guilt that you're living by. You think my good is never good enough. And instead of that driving us to God, it drives us away from God. I've talked with many people who were raised in a very uh, home that was very conducive to living by guilt. And at some point in their life, they begin to realize, I can never live up to the expectations of the church or of my parents And instead of them running to God, they ran away from God. That's what happened to the first Adam. When he sinned in the garden, when he sinned in the garden, what did he do? He ran from God. He tried to hide from God because he was so guilty. He was so ashamed of what he had done. When you say, I can't, I can't live that way, you are right, you cannot. But through Christ, you can. And when we can begin to switch the way that we think, we can switch our Christianity to realize that it's not me, but it's through Him. It's not by our doing that makes us accepted, but it's by us becoming. What do I mean by that? You see, Jesus was sinless. He was sinless. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, for he, made, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus didn't do sin. 
But he became sin. If he would have done sin, he wouldn't have been sin, he would have been sinful. He would not have been the perfect sacrifice that he had to be. He would have been just like Adam or Moses or David or, or anyone else that you read in the Bible or like us. We are sinful. But he was not sinful. He didn't do sin, but he becomes sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. We're not to do righteousness. He calls us to become righteousness. Trying to obtain from God on your own efforts will never work. Trying to do it apart from Him. Trying to to do righteousness. He said, no. He said, through me you can become righteousness. The same way that Jesus didn't do sin, He became sin. We have to become our righteousness through Him. We have to learn to live by grace and not guilt. Secondly, we need to live by design and not default. Live by design and not default. You know what the the default way is? It's the way the world lives. It's the way that when we were born that we live. That's the way that that because of Adam's sin that we live. It's the default way of living. But we need to learn to live by design. In John chapter 19 verse 34, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. At this moment, we know that it's talking about when he was on the cross, and how that, that he was there, and that they punctured his side. And in that moment, there's, there's, there's different philosophies as why that blood and, and water gushed out. But at that moment, I believe he was making a way. He was making a way that we could learn to live by design. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. You see, he transforms us. When we become in Christ, we are no longer living by default. But he, we are living by design. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. He doesn't just clean you up. He says you become a new person. You no longer are to live like the way that the world wants you to live. The way that you were born in this life to live. He said at this moment you now have a purpose. You have a a reason. You have a, a new motivation to realize that you do not live for yourself. You see there's times in my life that I stumble. There's times that I mess up. There's times, believe it or not, that I make mistakes. But I have to realize that when I do that, that God still has a plan for my life. And that He has called me, that I'm a a, a new creation. That I'm a, a new person. And I begin to walk by the design that He has for my life. I can't make all things new. That would be awesome. 
If I could just look at something older or talk to someone and say, okay, you're new now. I can't do that. Only Christ can. We cannot do it apart from Him. We cannot do this verse for ourselves. But He says, when you come to me, when you make a decision to become my follower, the default way of living goes by the wayside. And I become, and you become a new creation. You then begin to live by design. How many people know that God has a plan for your life? If you don't know that, let me tell you. God has a plan for your life. You may be sitting there thinking, oh, not me. I've messed up too many times. I've went down the wrong path. I've made too many mistakes. No, the Bible says that when you were in your mother's womb that God knew you that he preordained you, that he has a plan, he has a design for your life. And if we can learn to realize that if we will just walk and live by the design that he has for our life and not the way that we think we should live and the way that in our worldly flesh that we would live, then we can do this thing that he's called us to do. And we can be the person that he wants us to be. Thirdly, we need to learn to live through victory, not as a victim. Live through victory, not as a victim. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How does he give it? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. How many people like to win? Nobody likes to lose. I started coaching soccer. Yes. I'm almost ashamed to admit that. It was peer pressure. Coming from the sound booth. I got a call and he said, Hey, they've called me about coaching soccer. Would you help me? And my first response was, are you crazy? I hate that sport. I'm sorry, all you soccer players. If Pele is here, I'm I'm sorry. I never played it growing up. My sisters, my cousins, they played it. I was around it. I didn't like it. So I thought, yeah, I'll do it. I'm going to be there anyway. Reese plays. And she broke daddy's heart when she decided she didn't like softball. God's sport. And she decided she wanted to play soccer and be on the swim team. But I said, I'll do it. So I got out there at the beginning. I was like, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever. Then last week we won, six to one. And at that moment I realized this could be fun. (laughs) Not because I like soccer, but because I like to win. Last week or yesterday, I found myself being very competitive coaching. I mean, not to the extent of, you know, embarrassing anyone, but... They had one player that was just so much better than, than anyone else, and he was doing everything. I wanted to trip him, 
take him out. He was nine, but that's okay. But nobody likes to lose, no matter what you're doing. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to lose in this life. Because it says that because of God, He gives us the victory. Not through ourselves, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did He do it? Luke chapter 24, verse 2. It says, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. What happened? He made an opening. Now, why was that important? Why in the world did they have to roll away the stone? Jesus could have just walked out. And when they saw him on the outside, they were going to know that he wasn't in that tomb. He didn't have to have that stone rolled away. Oh, why did he do it? When they came to the tomb, they found something very significant. What did they find? John chapter 20 verse 7 says this. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Why in the world? Here's Jesus, been in the tomb. Why would he take this off and fold this napkin and place it in a place by itself where the people that came in could see it? I mean, if it were me, I would just... You know how you do in the morning when you oversleep? And you're changing clothes. When you take your pajamas off, you just put them wherever. Because you know you've got to get out of there. That's the way it would have been if I were Jesus. I just want out of here. I want to show these people. But no, he took the time and folded this handkerchief. Why did he do that? Because it it was a tradition that if you got up from the table... And you folded your napkin. That let the people know that you were coming back. That let the people know, I'm not done with my meal. I'll be back. And I believe Jesus was saying that only through Him that we can come back. We can come back from the abuse and the hurts of this world. You see, Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew what it was like to be abused. He knew what it was like to be rejected. But at that moment, he folded that napkin. And I believe through that we can know and remember that we're not a victim of death. Jesus at that moment was saying, I'm not a victim of death. Death has no dominion. Death has no power over me. And I believe that Christ wants us to know this morning that your past has no power over you. Your rejection, your abuses, your hurts, they have no dominion over you. You do not have to live as a victim, but you can live just as Christ is victorious, not in ourselves, but only through Him. And you may be sitting here this morning and you may be saying, if that's me, I feel rejected. I've been abused. I've had hurts. Life has has just beat me up and left me for dead. But Christ wants you to know that through Him, you can be victorious. Through Him, you do not have to be a victim. Too many times in our life, we want to, I've done it. Things start going wrong or going bad in life, and I want to sit around and play the victim. 
well, this person did me wrong, and, and then I had this happen, and, and then that happened. And before you know it, you're sitting in the corner somewhere, curled up in a ball, saying, poor pitiful me. That's living as a victim. And if we look at life just with these eyes, that's a very easy thing to do because life is hard. Things happen. Life isn't fair. One of the hardest things as a pastor is to look at somebody going through something and it's devastating in their life and have to look at them and say, I don't know why. I can't explain it. It doesn't make any sense to me either. But then to allow them to know that even though they don't understand it, and either, even though it doesn't make any sense, and even though I don't understand it, that they do not have to live as the victim, but they can choose to live in victory through Jesus Christ. How many people are glad for the victory this morning? Amen. Lastly, we have to learn to live through hope, not through hopelessness. Live through hope, not through hopelessness. There's times in our life that there seems like there's no hope. It seems like that it's a lost cause. And the enemy wants us to believe and wants us to, to, to think that there's no way out, that there's no hope. We've all been in those situations. There's just no hope. But through Christ, we can live through hope and not through hopelessness. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 says this. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. You see, when we are young, we think we're going to live forever. When you're young, you just do stupid things. You do things that, that just, and you think, you know what? It doesn't matter how I treat my body. It doesn't matter. And you just, and because you think you're going to live forever. And even as we begin to get older, we begin to think our mind tells us that we're going to live forever. Even though our body aches and hurts. Last Sunday, there was somebody that prayed. And uh, they were getting ready to walk away. And I wanted to hug their neck before they left. And it's just a long way to those steps. So me being the young person that I am in my mind, you know what I did? How many, people, how, many people remember, how many people were scared for me? Right here, the front row. They was afraid I was going to... You better watch out if I come off of here. I jumped down. Now, I didn't think anything about it. The next day, I was thinking, man, why is my knee hurting? And my wife, who is always just so on point and good at Telling me why things happen. Uh, dummy. She didn't say that, but she was thinking it. It's probably because you jumped off the stage yesterday. And you almost killed poor Aaron. 
And I looked at her and said, it had nothing to do with that. But we think we're young. And we think that we're going to live forever. But the truth is this. Uh, there's going to come a time when your time on earth is over. Jesus knew that there was a, a set time that he was going to, to leave this earth and that the heavens were going to open up and he was going to be called to sit at the right hand of the Father. There's going to come a time that our time on this earth is going to be over. And the question becomes, is are you living through Christ or not? Are you living through Christ or not? Because you see, that the answer to that question will determine whether or not the heavens are going to open up for you. You think, man, that's, that sounds mean. That sounds cruel. You're supposed to be given hope. Oh, this is hope. It's not mean and it's not cruel. But what is mean and cruel is to reject the passageway that God has created for you and has created for me. The God that when he allowed his only son to hang on that cross for our sin, for our transgressions, to become sin for us. What is cruel is to reject that. To reject that moment that he hung on the cross. To reject him saying, I'm doing this so that you don't have to. I'm doing this because you can't do it. I'm doing this for you. And then for us to, to turn our back and to say thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but I'll live apart from you instead of living through you. That's what's cruel. That's what's hurting. To reject the love that God has offered to mankind, to all of us. You see, because Jesus is mankind's second chance in this world. He is our second chance. He is the second Adam. And my question is, is do you believe that heaven will open up for you? If you have any doubt this morning, that doubt can be erased. All you have to do is receive him. Not just believe in Him, but receive Him. You, you see, many people say that they believe. Many people, uh, the Bible tells us that even the demons believe. They acknowledge Him. You may be here this morning and you say, well, I know who the Lord is. I know the story. But John chapter 1 verse 12 says this. Now when as many as received Him... To them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. As many as received him. If we could learn to live through grace and not guilt. To live by design and not default. 
To live through victory and not as a victim. To live through hope and not hopelessness. You see, this amazing story of love, this love story that we read in this book, the best love story you'll ever read. It's not to condemn you. It's not to condemn you. He didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. John chapter 3 verse 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him through him might be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 21 and 22 says So you see just as death came into the world through a man. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Verse 22, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Just as everyone dies because of one man. Everyone who belongs to Christ, everyone who receives Him, everyone who lives through Him will be given a new life. My question for you this morning, on this glorious resurrection day, the day that Jesus came out of the grave, declaring that sin and death had no power over him. The question is, are you living through him? Have you received him? The greatest love story ever told is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son we wouldn't have to perish but that we could have everlasting life God loved us so much that he did that and it's your decision today with every head bowed and every eye closed the question for you today is if you are not living through him Will you receive that love? You're here and you're not sure. You can be sure before you leave. You can say, I've been trying to do the right things. But I keep messing up. 
and he gives me a second chance and I mess up. He's telling you this morning, don't try to do it apart from him, but do it through him. All you have to do today is is say, I receive you. Come into my heart. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. I've never made a decision. I've never received him. I've never believed. I've never accepted this love that he offers us freely. You say, Pastor, that's me. Just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Would there be another? Pastor, that's me. You may be here this morning and say, I fit in in another category. There was a time that I walked with Christ. There was a time that that I was was living through Him. But then at some point, at, at some moment, I quit living through Him. And I started trying to live through myself. And now my life, my life's a mess. My life is in shambles. It feels like that everything and the weight of the world is crashing down on me. Just as the prodigal son. He was living life through his father. And at some moment in time, he he thought, I I can do this better on my own. I've got better ideas. And he went out and he started trying to live through himself. And he ended up in a mess. But there was a time that he came to his senses. There was a time that, that he was dealt with. And he said, you know what? Living life through myself is not what it was really cracked up to be. And he turned around. He got up. And he started to walk back to his father. Now, I can promise you that that walk that the enemy was telling him and the enemy was trying to convince him that there would not be, that his father would not accept him, that he had messed up too much, that he had done too many things, that he had went too far away from his father. And the enemy's trying to do that to many of you sitting here today. He's wanting you to believe that you've messed up too much, that you could never come back. You could never live through him again. But what happened with the prodigal son? When he made that decision to start living through his father again, his whole life changed. And I can tell you this morning, if you're sitting here, if you'll begin to live through him again, he'll change your life. If you're here and you say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I've made made mistakes. I've tried to live on my own, but I'm tired of it. 
I want to start living through him again. Just slip your hand up. Don't allow the enemy to tell you. I believe if we could go back and talk to that son, if we can find him when we get to heaven, I guarantee you he will tell you that the best decision he ever made was to get up out of the pig pen and to walk back to his father. Would it be anybody else? Pastor, that's me. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to stand. You may think that you're here this morning just because it's Easter. You may think that, that you're here this morning just because it's the thing to do. But just as I said in my sermon, that's not the case. You're not here by default. You may think it's by default, but I can promise you it's by design. You just didn't show up this morning because somebody invited you, because you had the day off at work. God knew that you were going to be here this morning. And he has a design for your life. And so as they begin to sing, if you raised your hand, you know, there's different philosophies on, you know, well, don't, people don't feel comfortable coming forward. And, but since we've moved into this building, Every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, somebody has made a decision to walk down that aisle, to kneel here at this altar. And I could go to them and ask them, do you regret it? Do you regret it? Do you regret walking out in front of all of those people? No. And you know what they would tell you? No. Because when they did it, not only did God come with them, but somebody else came with them as well. Because we've made a decision that no one will ever come to this altar alone. Why? Because God didn't design us to walk alone. He's told us that, and we believe one of our core values values is life is better together. And it starts right here. So if you'll just bow your head one more time. As I pray, and as they begin to sing, I want to ask you, if you raised your hand, to take that next step and to make the best decision. That, that prodigal son, he couldn't just stay in the pig pen and say, I want to be different. He had to get up and he had to walk home. If you're here this morning, I want to challenge you. As I begin to pray, do not allow the enemy to take this moment from you. I'm going to challenge you to come and kneel at this altar and somebody will come with you. You hear me, Father, I come before you. Come on, step out. God, I thank you for everyone that's here. God, I thank you that you have allowed us this moment in time.
God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sin. God, Father, right now, God, as, as we know that the enemy fights against the power of darkness, fights against us. God, you're greater. God, I know that you're going to, to change hearts and change lives in this auditorium this morning. God, it's only because of your grace that we can live free in you. Father, we love you. God, we thank you. 